All right. Well, um, it's okay that you guys fellowship. I mean, that's a part of doing this is I want to make sure we talk about the material, but I also want to make sure that we're connecting. And to me, community is just as important as the gospel. So, um, so if you guys are talking and getting to know each other, that's good too. So, but um, just for, I, I leave time management up to you. So you guys have 20 minutes um, of connect time. And so um, that also includes your refreshments and all that. So I kind of leave that to you guys to, to manage that time together. Um, so you guys can go through that. So no worries if it didn't happen this week. But if you guys feel like you had a good time connecting, well, that works too. So, um, so I, I'm going to explain this because I realize it can be kind of confusing. Um, so I will, so like last week was session one. Um, your homework will always be on the back. So for the next week. So you're so right now you should have probably already read the whole book of Daniel. And then it's going to kind of be tedious because you're going to be going back into the different ones. But it's just so that you can have, you already have an overall fill of the book. Now you'll be able to start breaking it down. So, um, so that will be a part of that. Um, so any questions with the, that, the packet? Is that, is that clear or helpful? Because I know it can be confusing. So, um, so today should be session two, historical background and Daniel's life, fasting, and prayer. And so any, anything that you guys got out of, um, I know you guys didn't talk very long, but um, do you guys have any questions from Daniel 1 through 6 so far to make sure I hit it? Okay. Well, if you do, just talk to me along the way. So like I said, this is interactive. Um, I'll be going back and forth. So I'm going to do a recap real quick, um, just real brief. Um, so chapters 1 through 6 are type and shadow of the end-time church. Okay, so we talked about that. Chapters 7 through 12 are visions of end-time events. Um, these chapters will give historical info for us and um, apocalyptic descriptions of events. Um, two, chapters 2 through 7 are in Aramaic, 7 through 12 are in, did I, yes, are in Hebrew. So it should be one, I forgot to add one through two is in Hebrew, but we already mentioned that. And then um, Daniel mentioned in Isaiah 39. So it's really hard because there's so much background that I could honestly spend months on it. And, um, and it's actually really hard not to do that. So um, today we're going we're gonna to hit this briefly um, because we want to know what the deal is with Babylon. So there is, you have to understand that uh, Babylon is a very unique place. So many people believe that the Garden of Eden was in Babylon. And that's why there's a significance. That um, if you look in uh, Genesis, you'll see there, there's four rivers. One of them is the Euphrates, which is a little bit more familiar to us and that they run into this whole area. Well, it's also, um, they also called this land the land of Ur. Well, if you know anything about the land of Ur, this is also going to be the place that God calls out Abraham. Um, so this land has a lot of significance. So even though um, Babylon is this place over there, a lot of people believe that's their beginning, the roots of the beginning of all creation. So it, most people think that it probably happened in Jerusalem or Israel, but it actually happened in this little area 
called Babylon or Ur. That's why when we have the rebellion and then they're split off, it's happened in this area, the land of Ur. So um, Genesis 11, it says, um, verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. And, and so we see that it is a place of contention with God. It's a place of rebellion with God. And so it's interesting that God will bring them back to a place where they will wrestle again with God. Um, Babylon was a land filled with gods. Um, Jews were unique because they were monotheistic. Most religions of the world, even to this day, are not monotheistic, um, which means one God. And so we have this place, Babylon, that there's going to be a lot of enticing. You know, it's going to be a land that they celebrate gold and silver and um, there's going to be a lot of significance to that. But Jews were very unique because they, they said, well, we serve Yahweh. We serve one God. And they were very unique because if you were a Babylonian, you could go, well, here's my God. Show me yours. And they could go, well, we can't show you our God. And so they were only unique because they carried the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. But they never said, well, that's our God right there. It was just a carrier of, of his presence. And so the ark, that's why also why the ark was so important to them because it was the only thing they had to be for them for proof to go, well, that's what our God symbolizes. And so um, they worshiped silver and gold. They were prideful people. And the Lord says pretty intense things about Babylon. I mean, you'll see it all throughout scripture because it's a place of rebellion. It's a place where they're prideful. And we know that God humbles the pride. Prideful, and we see that throughout this book as well. Uh, so who was Daniel? So Daniel was a teenager when he left Jerusalem. Um, some people believe he was like between 13 to 16, and I know that's kind of a wide range, but we can definitely say that he was a kid who was young. I mean, he was a young kid when he, when he left. And um, you have to understand, well, he'll become a eunuch and serve in governmental positions within two different kingdoms. Um, he was a prophet, according to Jesus. Um, he won't call himself a prophet, but Jesus calls him a prophet. He will serve under kings until the time of Cyrus, who will release the Jews. And he was given dreams and visions from the Lord and also given the ability to interpret the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. So you have to understand, I mean... I think about yourself at between 13 to 16 year old, year old what your ambitions were in life, um, what you were thinking about. Um, and so, like, if you could imagine you have just lost both of your parents. Um, they're most likely they've been killed in the ambush, and you know you'll be separated from them forever. Um, and you're taking this journey to Babylon which would be like, the only thing I can only compare it to would be like a Las Vegas of our time. I mean, it was just like this big city that had every kind of allurement that you could possibly want. I mean, it was, like I said, we talked about the technology that they had. I mean, they would have never seen anything like this before in their lives. It would have been so grandiose. I mean, I'm sure the culture shock that they went through was really big. Because they went from serving this one God in this one place, which was really filled with a lot of humility 
and to this place that was filled with so much pride, and that they would have been seeing harlots and all kinds of stuff that for a young boy to, to be like not drawn into that, that, that is a big statement to me. Um, I like to think about the humanity of Daniel because I think if I can put human flesh on him, it makes it even stand out more so of the things that he decided to do and not to do. Um, so for him to come into this city and him to, to encounter him in this story at the beginning of the things that he refuses to do is actually a huge statement to me about really kind of who his parents were as well. And so I think that this is a, a huge statement for you who are, um, who are parents, who are aunts, uncles, you know, grandparents, that it truly is, is, is a true saying that we see with Daniel that when you train a child in the way that they should go, they won't depart from it even if you're departed from their life. And um, so this is a huge statement of who his, who, you know, um, his parents were. For the fact that he could go into this place and he knew something about God that he was taught that he could resist every other temptation. That's a huge statement of who Daniel is and why we can appreciate this young boy. Um, so other than John, um, he's the only other person in the Bible called beloved. How interesting is that? So we see that phrase used only twice about a person and Daniel is one of them. Um, Daniel's given details concerning Christ's first and second coming. Um, the only other person who kind of receives this is Isaiah, but not to the, de- to, to the details, as we will see in, um, uh, in this as well. How many people got to the statue and were like, what is going on? These different metals, they're, you know, what's this feet with clay? And, you know, like, there, there's something to that that was for then and for what's to come. But we're going to look more into that as well and how it parallels to what John see, or what Daniel sees in chapter 7. Um, Daniel's, through Daniel's life, we will see themes of prayer and fasting, the sovereignty of the Lord's leadership, and a life set apart unto the Lord. Um, the term fasting is not used in the book of Daniel, and so that can be really confusing of going, okay, well, what do we, how would we define fasting then? Because it's kind of like the word um, uh, rapture. We don't see the word rapture actually in the Bible, but there's a belief of how do we get these things to come about. Well, it was the fact that we would say that his fast was that it was a resisting against. So he could have had the king's meat, but in a sense, they would have seen that as fasting because he would have, he is absolutely changing his appetite, changing his diet, changing the way that he lives unto God. And so um, fasting is not fasting if it isn't unto something. You know, that's what we call a diet. You know, I've been on many diets unto the Lord, but I, a fasting is when you replace something with something else. So I restrain from this meat because I want the meat that only can come from my God. Like it's, it's unto something else. And so that's where we're going to see that fasting lifestyle that we would call into that. So, all right. So question, and this is a question I would like for you to write down if you can. If you wrote a thesis about your life, what would it be? If you could write a thesis about your life, and basically what a thesis is, it's an overall summary of your life. 
So if you had to open up a book that said, this is what I want everyone to know about my life, what would it be? And the reason I ask that, because when you read the end of chapter 1 of Daniel, The reason I say that is because of this last statement in um, Daniel 1. It says, thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. That, that one phrase says to us that he actually wrote this book at the end of his life, not in chronological order like a journal. And I think a lot of people think that. But he actually wrote all of this at the beginning or at the end of his life. And so we see that he continues until the first year of King Cyrus. Some people go, well, was that added? No, he wrote that. Um, and the reason that we, we can look at that is because what he put in the first chapter is the one thing he wanted you to know about himself. It's what he wanted you to know about his life. Now, most people, they would probably put the prophecies or the visions first, correct? They would probably be like, you know what, God gave me all these visions, do, 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 do. But there was something that he wanted people to know about his relationship with the Lord that was so vital that that's why we have chapter 1 of him coming into this captivity and him resisting so that his life could be set apart unto the Lord. And so that says a lot about his heart, that he loved his relationship with his God more than what the visions that the God gave him. Um, so why Babylonian captivity? Um, Israel had failed to observe the seven-year Sabbath where they allowed their land to rest for a year. But this continued for 490 years. So Israel made up the deficit for 70 years in Babylonian captivity. God did that for them. I mean, it was for them. But they continued to rebel in their hearts against the Lord. And the Lord actually, look at, this is where I always go. God is, actually gives us a lot of time to turn our hearts. A lot of time. Because he, this continued for 490 years. I mean, it broke his heart time and time again. And he sent the prophets to help, help them to turn their hearts to the Lord. But they continued to refuse. And so they made up that time for 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Israel dealt with sins of idolatry and rebellion against the Lord. And the book of Isaiah goes into more detail about the issue. Um, like I said, Babylon is a special place. Garden of Eden, Abraham, Tower of Babel, it's modern-day um, Iraq. And I put this because um, this is actually how I got into the book of Daniel. I read a book about a man who was a journalist who went to Iraq. And he actually went dur during uh, Saddam Hussein's reign. And because he was a journalist, he was allowed to come and do some inside things. Well, he got to interview Saddam Hussein, who believed that he was the incarnated um, Nebuchadnezzar, that he felt like that he was reincarnated and that this was his time to do, finish the work that he didn't get to finish when he was on the earth, okay? So um, so that's why if you look at the Saddam Hussein, he actually tried to rebuild Babylon. Um, he actually restored the Issachar Gate that has the beautiful blue tile and, um, and the signature of Babylon, which is the lion. And so he did all these things through this whole feast, and he actually had on his coin, if you look at the Iraqi coin during his time, 
he has his face next to Nebuchadnezzar, like um, two profile shots side by side to signify that he was actually the reincarnated uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Well, as we know now, he never fulfilled all that, um, and um, he never got to do that. But it's, it just even shows that someone who isn't even godly recognizes the importance of Babylon, who recognizes the importance of that land. And so, um, and of course, Iraq is an upheaval now, but Iraq is an upheaval because Babylon will be restored by an antichrist. So when we, as we know this, as things are happening, we know that this is unto a reason, um, just like Israel wasn't even a nation for how many years and centuries, and then in 1948, we have a supernatural thing that happens. And so though we don't see something now, we know that God can make something happen real quick, or things can happen real quick. Um, in fact, a part of our government um, gave during the Iraq war, um, the one area that is actually sacred to every single Muslim is Babylon. They also believe that this is the place where Muhammad got his vision. And so um, they do not like to have wars in that area because they see it as sacred and holy ground. Um, the United States honored that to an extent in the Iraq war, um, but there was some violence that happened in that area. And um, our president at the time um, decided to give, uh, for the rebuilding of Babylon, they gave to Iraq $9 million. So our nation gave $9 million into the building of rebuilding of Babylon. There's actually a Babylonian institute right now, you can go online and look for it, who are just as much as people are trying to rebuild the temple, there's a, a lot of people who are trying to rebuild Babylon. So, um, so even our government has a hand in wanting the rebuilding of Babylon. All right, so... Um, Daniel 1, opening, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord will be a major theme in this book and will be a theme weaved throughout the entire book. Um, what we need to know about this uh, opening is that Nebuchadnezzar was actually not king yet. Now, they say King Nebuchadnezzar because it's kind of past tense. That's how we also know that um, Daniel wrote this towards the later part of his life. But he was actually a general. His dad is going to die while he is um, out conquering. So ne King Nebuchadnezzar actually during this siege finds out that his father has died and that he has to come back and take over the throne. And so this is going to be a, a season of transition, not just for Israel, but also for Nebuchadnezzar. So he is going to have his first reign with these new captives. Um, everything's going to be new. That's why we also see his responses like a general when he's like, I'm going to kill you or I'm going to do this. He has been a violent man until this point. Um, he has been out basically um, conquering. He has been out on besieging other places. And so now in this, in this time, he's also going to come. He has just found out uh, during the, this time that he is king uh, now of Babylon. And so this is going to be a transitional season for all of them. Um, being in the king's service, um, so we know that they were there and um, they were trained for three years. 
And then they were entered into the king's service and Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Um, the fact that this is three years, this is, this says a lot too. We think, you know, we read it and you think that this stuff happened overnight. Um, that they just entered to the king's service, they resisted the food, you know, and then they were brought before the king. Um, it's going to take them three years before they even see Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to be in intense training um, in that time. And they were taught the language and literature of the Babylonians. It's always interesting that they learned astronomy. They, they accept the learning of all their culture. The only thing that they did, refused was the thing that it was the issue of the stomach. Now, for them, that meant, you know, food was a big deal for the Israelites um, and what not to defile themselves with, particularly, you know, God told them not to eat um, pork, you know, um, things and some things in the sea like lobster, blah, blah, blah. But um, it also was like they knew that if they could control their appetite, they could really control them. And it's funny that they weren't intimidated by the learning. It was almost like if they can control my appetite, then they can control me. Um, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And like I said, the closing, um, we know that he wrote this because he will say he remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. The reason why he says that is because King Cyrus is going to be one who releases the Jews back to Babylon. Um, that's going to be his first decree. And that's, a, that's going to be very vital as well. All right. And then we're going to hit this, and then we're going to be closing, actually, pretty soon. So um, the name changes. So this is important. So um, we have Daniel, whose name means God is my judge. Um, they're going to call him Belshazzar. This is not to be confused with the grandson um, that we're going to read about. Um, Belteshazzar, it's, they're very going to be very closely named. Um, but you'll see why, because it's the Prince of Baal. So when he said, God is my judge, they looked at his name and said, well, now you are the Prince of Baal. So his name is Belteshazzar. You won't see him referred to that a lot in, in, the, in the chapters, but you will see it occasionally. Um, Hananiah means beloved of the Lord. Um, and Hananiah will become Shadrach which says, means illumined by the sun god. Then we have Mishael, who is, who is as god, will become Meshach, who is like unto the moon god. And then Azariah, the Lord is my help, will become Abednego, a servant of Nago, a shining fire. What they would try to do is take your name, so we'll say Candy, and so we'll say, instead of Candy, we'll call you Hershey. You know, like, it's kind of like, it's a, it's, there's something connected. So it's kind of like, it's like, well, candy means this in Hebrew, which is significant to your God. Well, I serve this God, which our equivalent is Hershey. So we'll take basically what is our equivalent and go, this is actually, you're now a servant of our God. You're now a servant of who you are. This is, and it's funny because you'll see God do this with people all the time. Saul, Paul, you know, Peter. Um, I mean, you see these name changes all the time because it was your identity. If they could change your name, they could change your life. They could change your calling. They could change your purpose. And so really what they're doing in this was actually kind of a degrading. It's basically saying, unlike your God, because El um, is, is always going to be, you see, with uh, Michelle, 
L is always God. L is always God. We always have um, the Ah. The Ah is also the Lord. So if they could change those little things because they would name each other with the name of their God, Hebrews, in it. So you have Danielle. You know, um, we have Michelle. Who is as God? God is my judge. And so they do that because they feel like if I can change your name, I can change your destiny. And I realized, even as I would teach this to um, 20 to 30-something-year-olds, and even to, to you all to this day, I believe that we always are in a contention of what is your name? What is your name? Because there is always a fight of who you really are. There's always a fight of who you really are. Because God has named you. God has put his, his name on you because every time he puts a name on someone, do you notice that there's a purpose and a calling attached to it? And there's something that always tries to strip us of our name to say, you know what, it's kind of like even the garden. Did God really say that he could do that for you? Is God really that good? And in a sense, we strip ourselves of our names. You know, if, if someone else can't name us, well, sometimes we rename ourselves. We rename ourselves as failure. We name ourselves as hopeless, you know, or um, I can never do that, you know, that it's too late, or, you know, those things that, that God goes, if, if we know anything from the Bible, it's God is the God of impossibilities at any age, that God is the God of purpose, that he who began a good work in you, whether you don't fulfill it now, he, you can, he will make sure that you fulfill it by the time you breathe your last breath. He is faithful. He is faithful to the end. And I think that that's why when we look at these name changes, I always ask the question, well, what is your name? What is your name? And because if you know your name, you know your purpose. And your purpose doesn't have to be this. I mean, I always tell people 1% of the gospel or being a minister is on stage. 99% is doing life with people, you know. But most of our life is doing life with one another, having a purpose to love God and to love people well. And there's a purpose that we all have no matter who we are, no matter what obstacles that we face. Honestly, the more obstacles that you face, the more purpose you probably have on your life. And, that, and we see that through the struggles of every single person in the Bible that we can cling to is going, if we learn anything by struggles, it probably means you have a calling. You know, every struggle is unto something that you are a light and a hope to somebody else. But God also has something to say to you about what he feels about you. And so it's always important to know what is, what is your name? Um, so for the next, well, this was when I, re, I needed to redo this. So it's actually next week because this is when I thought I was going to be on vacation and I, I was. So next week um, you'll do, you'll read, you can read seven through nine, but really just do your homework with seven and two um, and do session two homework, which is on the back. But, I mean, I, real quick in closing with all this, and then I know we also want to do um, something because we missed Ash Wednesday, but, um, but I think through all of Daniel chapter 1, the things that we can learn and what we can take away from this, even as our personal self, is that, like I said, if Daniel could have done anything, he, if, if you were going to open up a book about your life, what would it really be? You know, and I love that Daniel basically starts with, I was taken into captivity, but my heart was set on a pilgrimage from a very young age that I was not in this world. And he shows that because even though he learns all these things, 
he continues to show that he's not of this world. And even when they change, try to change his identity, when they try to change the way that he ate, the way that he thought, he continued to hold fast because he knew who he was. And I do believe that God really does have a name for every single one of us. And it seems like, that can seem so grandiose, like, well, maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go do, you know, maybe overseas or whatever. But every single person was born with a unique purpose and design under heaven. I mean, there is nobody like you. Um, I was, I have my iPhone and, and I got it and it does the face recognition. And I was so amazed that it said that the reason why they did face recognition, because somebody can actually have your fingerprint a lot easier, like a more familiar fingerprint, but they said your face is one in a million. So the chances for someone to come open up my phone with their own face is one in a million. And they, they were showing, so showing how they did masks, you know, they did Hollywood masks to see if, you know, if somebody could open it with even something else and it, it won't open. You know, and which that's why it was a great selling point because they're like someone can't even, you know, put a picture in front of it or, you know. Um, and so the fact that your face alone is one in a million, and even with your thumbprint, I mean, that was still like one in every 700 and, you know, there's a chance. But you are so uniquely designed. How do you not have a unique purpose in the earth? How does God not have a unique relationship with you and you alone? How does he not love you in a special and unique way? Because the enemy tries to lie like that you're like no, like you're like everybody else. That you know he doesn't see me, he doesn't know me, he doesn't care because you know I'm one in a million. You know, isn't that funny how it's the other side of one in a million? Well, I'm one in a million. How does he see me? No, you're one in a million. You're uniquely made. And so the fact that when we connect to that, he cares when your heart breaks. He cares about the things that you're carrying in your life. And he has a design even till the day that you, we all breathe our last breath, that we have a unique design and purpose. And that's why when you know your purpose, you will resist the things that are not like him. And you will be easily to be able to say no to the things that hinder your life. And so we cling to things that hinder us when we actually don't know who we are. And so we're, it's easy to get a stronghold because we're looking for a strong man to carry us. And so... God has a purpose for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll do this. And, and I know we went over a little, so thank you so much. Lord, I just ask that you would show each person today their name. Lord, I thank you that you're such a personal God to us, that you're so close and tender to us, that, Father, every single person here is one in a million. Lord God, even more than that, they are even if there was someone who looked just like them, there's no one who is just like them, Father. They don't have the same personality. They don't have the same traits. Father, I thank you that every single person in this room, there's never been a person even before or after that's going to be like them in the earth. And Lord, I just ask that you would just show them today that you love them, that you care about them, that Father, no matter what they're carrying this week, that you're with them, that you care, you care about the burdens that they carry, and that you're the God who carries our burdens, that you're the God who speaks hope and life into us. So do that today with each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I won't keep you just very, very, very.